Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And then he said, we are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen? So we got a job to do. Glad to be in the house of the Lord. Very good. And thank you for braving the, the skating rink called the parking lot. Thank you so much for that. For those who are joining us right now on Facebook Live, get your coffee ready and get ready to worship and enjoy the Word of God as we've enjoyed the worship already. And those on the radio also, we're glad that you have joined us. Okay, listen, this is week number two in I Love Lucy. And remember, the idea was, most of us, again, probably remember I Love Lucy. It's on a lot of the channels still will be forever uh, in reruns. But Lucy was just kind of a different kind of an individual. Uh, you had to love her because sometimes she was goofy and sometimes she wasn't. Her heart was usually good, but she drove you nuts. And sometimes our world drives us nuts. Sometimes our world is just like Lucy. And we need to learn to love the world and love the people around us in the very same way. So we want to talk about today, um, mad about you, not mad at you. Now, there were times on the TV show when I promise you Ricky was mad at Lucy. If you just watch the show, you know that's true. But a lot of times, too, he was mad about her. So, you know, I love teaching and preaching about the fact, and I mean this, and to me it's not loose at all, that God is mad about us. I, I can prove it. I, this proves it. I mean, the fact that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us proves just how mad about us he is. He was willing to send his son to a Roman cross because he loved us so much. And that sounds pretty much mad about us for sure. So, so but it's not really about God. Rather, it's us. It's the people. How, how, do we, how do we learn to be mad about people and not mad at people? How do we learn to be mad about people and not mad at people? It really is a challenge. I'm excited about the scripture today um, because it's so unusual uh, in the New Testament. New Testament. The, the book of Philemon is just different. It is. Um, a lot of, of course, you have the gospel accounts. You've got that. You've got the book of Acts, which is the book of the history. And then you've got all these letters that were written mainly to churches, you know, groups of people, most of them by Paul. Here we have a personal letter. A personal letter. And it's written to this guy named Philemon. And we're going to talk about that today, why he wrote this letter. Now, it's really cool again because it's kind of a private letter that Paul wanted to be made public. But have you ever got like an email before and you realized, I'm not supposed to be getting this? The person put the wrong email address. Or, or better yet, I do this all the time. Help me identify with myself. Okay? You're going to send a text message. Okay? And, and you start typing in that little box, not realizing you didn't change from the last last text message. So you meant to go to Brent and you sent it to Judy and said, and so, you know, or, or worse than that, you sent it to Judy and then Brent gets it and says, I love you. Anybody, you know, and so you write back quickly and say, not intended for you, sorry. Okay, we did a lot. Well, this was this was a letter that we're we're given privy to to look at the situation with Philemon. So so what is the situation? It's just crazy. It's just crazy. Here you go. First off, you know, you got a runaway slave. Well, first off, you got a slave, okay? In this time in the Roman Empire, um, 40, 30 to 40% of the population, okay, were slaves. Um, Warren Wiersbe estimates about 60 million people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Uh, unlike our tragic history with slavery, this had nothing to do with race, 
Okay, had nothing to do. Um, it could be you know a person actually selling their person themselves, their family to an owner because their life would be better. Okay, um, sometimes it was a debt deal. Uh, there was a debt, and so you could actually buy this person to pay off uh, that debt. You do it that way, and and. Generally speaking, more so than in the South, of course, but, but these slave masters were, were, generally speaking, pretty good people. There were mean ones. There were mean ones. But some of them, some of them were nice. And so, so we have that set up today. We've got this runaway slave, a fugitive. He finally has enough of where he was, okay? And by the way, we're going to learn that's at the at Classe, okay? So we have this runaway slave, and he meets a preacher, okay? Now, no, he doesn't meet a preacher. He meets a preacher... In prison, okay? And then, and then, as, as the sovereignty of God is, this runaway slave meets a preacher in prison who happens to be friends with the slave's master. How weird is that? And here's the crazy part. He's not just a friend. He's a BFF. Best friends forever. We see it in the letter. I mean, they, you know, Paul and this man are so tight together. So it's just a crazy thing, but it's a beautiful picture of the providence of God. You know, that comes from the Latin word. Again, like Dave said, if you're into that kind of stuff, um, you know, the Latin word pro means to, to see ahead, to ahead, and, and vidience means to see. So to see ahead. And not only see ahead, but to influence, to influence. I love what R.C. Sproul said, and I really hope you believe this today. Listen to what it says. There is not one piece... There's not one piece of cosmic dust that is outside the scope of God's sovereign providence. You believe that today? How big is your God? How involved is your God? How, how intimate is your God in your affairs? Now, not just the affairs of the world, okay? Not just the affairs of the universe, but how big is your God? How deeply is He, uh, how intimately is He involved in the affairs of your life? Well, Sproul says, you know, there's not one piece of cosmic dust that's outside the scope of God's sovereign providence. And I can help you answer that. How'd you do in COVID? How are you doing in COVID? How are you doing, you know, with a political mess? How are you doing with racial division? How are those things, how are all those things going on in your life? And how are they messing with your head? And more, impo- ooh, ooh, more importantly, how are they messing with your heart? You'll know, you'll know how you view the, the sovereignty of God by what things like today do with your head and what they do with your heart. So we want to look at this incredible, incredible letter. And again, it is a personal letter written to this guy named Philemon. And we're going to look at the characters and then we're going to see how Paul addresses Philemon and then the situation at hand. So let's start in verse number one. Now, again, I hope you'll get out your, your electronic device, go down that bottom corner, U version, bottom corner, events, click on that. All the sermons are there. I hope you'll do that this morning. It'll help you follow along. Also, there's a place there where you can take notes um, from the sermon. Okay, Philemon chapter one, and because there is only one, okay, Philemon one, one says this, Paul a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Well, that's Paul's there. So what Paul? Most of us know, but just in case you're listening today and you don't know who Paul is, um, Paul was a Jesus hater. He was a Pharisee. His, his full-time job was to destroy the church. That's what he did. You know, he got up and go to the office every day. His job was to find Christians and put them in jail. That's what he did. Okay, and then and then one day he's traveling to put some more people in prison and, and to rough them up and beat them up. And then he meets Jesus, the resurrected Christ, on the road. And, you know, and Jesus says, why are you messing with me, man? And who are you, Lord? 
And he realized it's the risen Christ. And so on that day, God radically changed um, Saul's life. He was Saul of Tarsus. Saul's life. He changed it so much that Saul dropped his Hebrew name, which was, was Saul, and picked up the name Paul. Okay? So, so this guy named Saul and then Paul was used to putting people in jail. That was what he did. That, again, it was a full-time job. Okay, but now, now we see that he himself is in jail, and he's in jail for the cause of Christ. He didn't rob a bank, wasn't going you know, too fast over the speed limit. He's in jail for the cause of Jesus Christ. So we got this preacher who is in prison because of the cause of Christ. And then with him is this guy named Timothy, simply noted as our brother. And Timothy was led to the Lord by Paul, okay? And Paul kind of took him under his wing. Uh, he became Paul's closest protege. He became a young pastor. Um, he readily called Timothy his son in the ministry. So it literally is a father-son type relationship. So, so you've got Timothy, and then we find out who the letter is to. And the letter is to a guy named Philemon. And that's the name of the book, Philemon. Okay, now, now Philemon, there's several things you knew about uh, him. First off, guess who won him to the Lord? Paul, the same guy that led Timothy to the Lord. See, Paul was always leading people to Jesus. See, and so, so yeah, so Philemon meets Paul and becomes a Christ follower, all right? He lives in Colossae, okay, which, by the way, this is so cool. Remember I told you this is a personal letter? You, you, you do know that they don't put a stamp on an envelope and send it. Back then. You know, here's what's really cool. Have you all heard the book of Colossians? Okay. Paul wrote the book of Colossians going to the church at Colossae. And he said, oh, by the way, while you're carrying that letter, take this letter. So these, these two letters were delivered together, one for the church at large and one for this guy named Philemon. So, so Philemon uh, was led to the Lord by Jesus Christ, and, and he, he just blossomed. He just blossomed. He became a great leader. He had, he had that charismatic leadership ability. Um, he was wealthy, and he, he was a leader in the community and became a leader in the church. All right? So, so he had all this going on. Okay? He's a believer. He's a leader led by, to, to the Lord by, the, by this guy named Paul. But here's the deal. He's a slave owner. He's a slave owner. That messes with our brain. Wait, Dwayne, how do the words strong believer and slave owner go together? Well, one, keep in mind the difference of the culture at that time. Okay? You know, just keep in mind that. But the bottom line is, he held people in bondage. That's all that matters. And so this really was not a good situation. So, so Paul's addressing Philemon as a brother, but also as a man who owns slaves, and he wants to address that issue. So it's to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker. Notice the word dear friend. They were BFF. They really were best friends forever, all right? And he was a co-worker in the gospel. Um, and then Aphia, Aphia was most likely uh, uh, this man's wife, Philemon's wife, okay? So that's that. And then there's Archippus. Archippus could have been the son of Philemon. That really doesn't matter. But he was the interim pastor, if you will, of the church at Colossae. Um, Epaphras was the main pastor. He's with Paul in Rome, ministering to Paul. And, and they took Archippus and said, hey, won't you be the interim pastor while Epaphras is gone? Okay, so he did. So he did. So he's a fellow soldier, Paul calls him, in verse number one and two. And then finally he says, now watch this, to the church that meets in your house. 
So Paul intended this private letter to be made public. You know, I know, I know, we've all written emails that you don't ever want to be public. We've all written texts that you would die if they were made public. So, why did Paul say, oh, by the way, to the church, I want this shared with the church? Well, here's the deal. This runaway slave, Onesimus, okay, this runaway slave, it's public knowledge, okay? I'm sure you do know sometimes people talk and gossip at church, you know. You're sitting there having your donut and coffee, you know, you kind of do that. Yeah. So, so they talked about Onesimus. Can you believe Onesimus right away? As good as Philemon is to his people. I mean, he loves his people. He provides. Can you believe he ran away? So, so Paul knew that this was a public situation. So this letter needed to address that situation publicly. Publicly. All right? So, so it starts out in verse 3. He gives us the standard opening, introduction, as he does so often in his other letters to churches, he says the same thing to Philemon. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't run past this as, hey, hi, John, how are you doing? Okay, don't run past it that fast. Because grace, and again, as David said, you know, grace is just so important. It's so important. See, see, grace, you see how they're married together there? Grace and peace, grace and peace. See, grace, okay, is the pathway by faith to a relationship with Jesus Christ and peace with God. See, Paul made it clear that before we meet Jesus, we're at war with God. We're at ends with God. We're at battle with God. And when we receive God's grace through faith in in the Son of the Lord Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden, grace makes it possible for us to have peace with God. The war is over. The war is over. And so, and so then, but it doesn't stop there. Here's what's so cool. Grace not only allows peace with God, it also allows the peace of God. See, see the, more, the more we understand this grace thing, the more we know peace. The person who truly understands God's grace truly knows his peace. Truly knows his peace. See, the more you understand, this grace thing is like, well, it's amazing. Um, but, you know, this grace thing is so, it's, it's unmerited. It's God's unmerited favor. It's unconditional. It's unlimited. And on and on and on and on. And the more you understand that, the more you're going to have his peace. See, grace can bring peace into the worst situation. Here we are in the midst of COVID. Here we are in the midst of a crazy election season. Here we are in the midst of division racially. And when we start understanding God's grace, then we of all people can have his peace. Does that make sense? Makes sense. That's why it's important we don't gloss over grace. That's why it's important we truly work to understand exactly what this grace factor is. So, so it's important that, that Paul said to Philemon, you know, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says in verse number four, I always, I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers. I think this is so big, okay? Now, Paul finds himself in the middle of a hot spot, okay? We have a Christian leader, okay, slave owner, and then we have this slave that's run away. 
And the bottom line is, Paul's trying to decide what to do about Onesimus. He knows he needs to send him back to Philemon, but he doesn't even agree with slavery. So he finds himself in a restless place. This is the kind of thing that would wake you up at 2 o'clock in the morning going, what am I going to do with this? I found myself smack dab in the middle, nobody's fault, nobody's fault, goes with the job. I found myself smack dab as a senior pastor, as the guy, the buck stops here. I find myself in a hot place with a COVID mess. Mass, no mass, this or that, on and on. And the church was split right down the middle. And I, you do, I did, I did wake up and go, what am I going to do, God? What am I going to do? Okay, so, so Paul, Paul, because ultimately goes back to Philemon, you know, Paul could have said, you know, I always whine to God when I mention you in my prayers. Philemon, you're a cause of trouble to me. You have messed with my life. And I, oh God, why don't you do something with Philemon? God, why don't you do something with this man? He, yes, he's a good man. Yes, God, he's got a good heart. But God, why don't you do something about him? See, it goes back to what we said one time not too long ago. When we pray, do we pray about or for? Women, ladies, are you still praying about your husband and not for your husband? Hey, guys, are you still praying about your wife and not for your wife? Hey, hey, church, are you praying about your pastors and not for your pastors? See, it's just really, really important. And Paul saw this, okay, and seized this opportunity. He could, he could have wrote, you know, right off the bat, Philemon, dude, I pray about you. I'm praying for you to get your heart right. But he didn't do it. Instead, he, listen, 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 listen. He focused on the positive. He chose, he chose to focus on the positive. So, so how we pray for people is our choice. No matter how messed up they are, no matter how much they messed up your life, they're messing with your happiness, they're messing with your peace. No matter how much, how we pray for them is a choice that we have. And Paul made the choice to focus on the good. On the positive. You know, I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers. And here's why. Here's why. Now, again, he could have said the slave thing, okay, the sin, but he didn't. He said, because, one, I hear of your love for all the saints. I mean, hey, the word on the street, Philemon, is that you are a man of love. You love people. And that's going to play a huge role in this. Mark that down. If you're taking notes, write down. Big deal. Big deal. So God, so Paul says, God, you know, finally, I want you to know, when I pray, I thank God for your love for all the saints. And number two, I thank God for the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. So Philemon, Philemon, I thank God for your love and I thank God for your faith. In other words, Philemon, I want you to know as far as my view goes, in spite of this, in spite of the white elephant in the room, in spite of that, guess what? I see you as a man of faith, and I see you as a man of love. Now, now listen, he's, he's going to use this. He's going to leverage this for his ability, for his good, for his case. Okay? How would our lives be impacted if we learn to pray this way? Not about, but for. And then let the person know, when you see someone, hey, I pray for you this morning. Not that you would repent and get right, but I just thank God for you. Imagine, on Valentine's Day, this is very appropriate. How shocked would your husband be 
You know, say, I just, I, just, I just prayed for you last night. Things are not going well. I just prayed for you. You know, what if it was, I just thank God for you. Honey, I just thank God for you. You know, once you picked him up off the floor. Or husbands, ladies, amen. Hey, hey, kids, parents. How different would your relationship be with your kids? If you just, you know, I just thank God for you. I'm so glad God gave you to us. What a difference. Because I hear of your love for the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. See, see, Paul begins by affirming the character of Philemon. He could have started multiple places, but he started by affirming the character of Philemon. Now, Paul is going to ask Philemon to do something big. Okay? So here's the deal. Our character reveals who we are. Okay? And who we are directs our actions. So, so he's helping. Ooh, come on now. He's helping Philemon to see his character. Hey, Philemon, this is who you are. This is who you are. You are a man of faith and you are a man of love. And then he goes later on. See, that revelation, that revelation to Philemon is going to impact how he acts. That's why it's important that you affirm people. The person that you're struggling with most in your relationship, there's a person at work, a boss at work, okay, your neighbor, okay, help them see their character and reveal who they are, and that will help direct their actions. It's huge. It's really, really um, important. So he goes on, okay, in Philemon 6, 1 6. He goes, here's the, here's that. Now, in, in verse 6, it's really cool how you like this. What, do you, what were the two things? I thank God for your love and your faith. Now he turns around in verse 6 and 7 and says, I want to talk to you about your faith and your love. The two same two things. Here's what he says. Look at verse 6. And I am praying for you. I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. See, Paul is about to ask Philemon to do something very generous. Very generous. So he says, Philemon, I want you to know, I'm praying that you will put into action. That will go somewhere beyond belief and somewhere beyond words, okay? I'm asking you to put into action that generosity that comes from your faith, okay? And it's going to have, how's that going to happen, Dwayne? How's it going to happen? Well, he says so. As you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. In other words, in other words, as through faith, as we, as we experience and understand all the good things that God's done for us, all the good things that God's done for us, guess what happens? It causes us to be like Christ. See, Jesus, how many of y'all would agree with the statement, Jesus is a generous Savior? Amen. Yeah, yeah. See, so as we understand that and believe that and try that, then its natural response is that we become generous. See, we become like Jesus Christ. So, so what does it say? The more we know, and by the way, I wrote this, so I'm going to change it, Okay. The more we experience, the more the expectation to act. The more, you know, knowledge is fine. You know, knowledge is a big deal with some people these days, okay? But, but the more we experience, the more the expectation. So words, the, more we, the more we know and understand that, that personally, that, that we have a generous Savior, it should night fires of generosity. So as we understand that, now these are as Christ followers. If you're a Christ follower, and the more we understand Jesus is generous, what's the response? 
generous. We should be generosity. The more we understand that Jesus is merciful, what's the response? We become more merciful. The more we understand that Jesus is forgiving, what's the response? The more we become forgiving. The natural deal is, okay, the natural deal is the more we understand Jesus and all these good things that he has done for us, the more we become like him. And this is so important because what Paul can ask him to do is an incredible act of rightness and generosity. You know, Billy Graham says, our faith um, becomes um, stronger as we express it. A growing faith is a sharing faith. Um, and I added a faith in action. See, the more, the, the, more our, the more we express our faith, okay, the stronger it gets. You know, Judy um, exercises five times a week. And she does the refit thing. And then she had a new one um, about this walk lady. I mean, I like, it's, it's fun to listen to her. She goes, walk, 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 walk. It reminded me of T.A. when he goes, dribble, 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 dribble. You know, walk, walk, walk. You know, and, and so she found this other one. It's a Christian workout program. And, and, I mean, it wasn't long for her. Like, her face was like red as a beat, you know. I said, man, that is really a workout. And so that night she's sitting there, and she tries to get up and go, oh. She discovered her glutes. And they had been worked like they had been worked. And even last night, we're laying there in bed. We kind of prayed before we go to bed, you know. We're laying there, and she goes, man, my hip still hurts. I leaned over and poked it and said, right there, oh. I mean, she went, ah! <laughs> I said, yeah, right there. But good news is, so you'll know, she's better today. She's better today. But it all happened, though. It all happened because she started flexing a muscle she doesn't often use. So our faith becomes stronger as we exercise it, as we express it. A growing faith is a sharing faith, a faith in action. Does that make sense? Makes sense? Now, here, guess what happens? I'm going to use a word I have no right, I have no idea if it's going to come out right. If we don't use our muscles, they apathy. Apathy? Yeah, thank you. What does that mean? They kind of deteriorate, right? They deteriorate? Yeah. I should ask the doc. You know about feet muscles. I know you do. All right? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. All right, now, verse 7. He talked about Philemon's faith. Now he talks about Philemon's love. Um, verse 7. For I have great joy and encouragement. You know, Philemon, Philemon. See, he could have said, you are causing me consternation. You are a pain in the neck. He didn't. He says, you caused me, for I, you, I have great joy. You caused me to have great joy and encouragement. Why? Because of your love. Your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. This is so good. You remember Psalm 23.3? You know, he restores my soul. He refreshes my soul. You know, you know Paul looks at Philemon and writes Philemon and says, man, you're like a Psalm 23.3. You know, you know you're, you're like an oasis in the desert. Your love is that way. See, he's building his character. He's revealing who he really is in Christ because he might not see that. So you've got to ask yourself a question. Are you a Sahara desert? Do you drive people out? Or are you an oasis? And do you refresh people? Since it's Valentine's Day, do you dry your spouse out or do you refresh your spouse? Do people feel like they've been in the desert after talking with you or they feel like they had a cold drink of water on a hot day? 
Which one? Which one? Yes. And, and Paul says, Philemon, you refresh, you refresh. You know, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, he said, so encourage each other. Encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. That's, a, that's what we should be. We should be encouragers and builder uppers. Okay, that's what we should be. Now, now notice this. We're fixing to jump into verse number 8. Now, if we're on verse number 8 and we start in verse number 1, that means Paul has spent how many verses? Seven verses encouraging and building up Philemon. How many verses? Seven. He's not even got to the topic yet. What is he doing? He's setting the table. He's setting the table. You know, when Judy's cooking a meal, either she or I, she'll sometimes say, hey, why don't you set the table? And anticipate. Anticipation of supper, okay? I get up from my seat and I put plates and napkins and silverware and glasses. I set, this is plum good. They didn't get this in first service. I set the table in anticipation of what is about to happen. Paul, Paul has set the table in anticipation of what he expects Philemon to do. And by the way, mm-mm-mm. they didn't get this, did they, Brent? How you set the table determines the outcome of the meal. How you set the table. You ever wonder why you start a conversation with somebody and ends up in a disaster? Because you didn't set the table. You didn't set the way you set well you did set the table, you just didn't set it right. Paul sets it right. He spends seven verses telling Philemon, I believe in your character. You know, you're you're a man of love, you're a man of faith. And finally he gets to verse number eight and he starts opening the package of what he wants to see happen. For this reason, because of your love and because of your faith. Although I have great boldness, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. Wow. Paul says, you know, I am the great apostle Paul. And I could. I could. Listen, my name carries weight in the church. Things could go poorly for you. All i got to do is say the word. All I got to do is spread the rumor about you. Things could go poorly. I could, I could command you, but I don't want to do that. Instead, I want to appeal to you how and what on the basis of love. And what was one of Philemon's main strengths? Love. He simply now wants Philemon to apply what Paul has said is big in his life. You know, your faith and your love. And now I appeal to you. I ask you instead on the basis of love. This is so big. If you're taking notes, this is a good one to write down. You know, listen here. He said, I'm asking you to respond. Not as what you are, but who you are. I'm asking you to respond not as what you are, but who you are. What's the difference? Well, you know, not as a sinner, but a saint. See, let me, tell you, let, me tell you, let me tell you how the world would respond. The world would say, hey, you, Onesimus, get over here. I'm going to find the hardest and worst thing I can do, and you will obey me because I'm your master. That's how the world would That's how sinners respond. Paul knew that, uh, that Philemon had legal rights in the Roman Empire. Not moral rights, legal rights. He said, I want you to respond as a sinner. I don't want you to respond as a saint. As a, as a Christ follower. I, I don't want you to respond as a master, but a slave. Wait, what? 
Yeah. See, see, Paul is saying, you know, I know you count yourself as a master, but I want you to respond as a master. I want you to respond as a slave. A slave of what? A slave of Jesus Christ. A slave of Jesus Christ. That's how I want you to respond. Um, I, I don't want you to respond as an owner. As an owner. Isn't that weird? Owner of people. Owner. I want you to respond as a brother. As a brother. So how do you respond to people? How do you respond? You know, do you let the Jesus thing happen? Do you, ooze, do you ooze a little bit of Jesus in your relationships? Even though you have, oh, come on. They ain't getting this in the first service, I'm telling you. You know, uh, you know do you respond like one of these? You got a little bit of power. You got a little bit of authority. So when it comes time for, for a relationship, you power up. You know, Jesus wasn't a power upper. You remember what he did on Thursday night before Friday and him dying? Yeah, he washed some guys' feet. He washed some guys' feet. It's just, it's just amazing. It's amazing. So in verse number 9, the second part, two things. I, Paul, as an elderly man, I like this, he plays the old man card. Just in case part two doesn't work, he's going to play part one. You know, Paul says, you know, I am your elder. And this culture, you know, down south, uh, when I was raised, that's a big deal. Again, I, I wrote not too long ago in one of my stories how that, you'll know, Stephen, today, I most likely will call you yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. It's ingrained to me from the time I was five, okay? I responded to my daddy, yes, sir, and my mama as yes, ma'am, okay? And then they taught me to do it for everyone. It's a term of respect. It's a term of respect, okay? So, so Paul, an elderly man, said, now, Onesimus, you remember, I'm older than you are. But then he placed the big card. And now also as a prisoner of Christ. Okay, what's he doing? What's he doing? He knows that what he is about to ask Philemon to do is pricey. It's expensive. But he's saying, I know about pricey. I know about expensive. You see, you see Philemon... I am in prison and I will ultimately lay my life down for the cause of Christ. So I want you to know something. I'm fixing to ask you to do something lavish, but I know about that because I'm in prison for the cause of Christ. I'm fixing to lose my life for the cause of Christ. I, I, I know about pricey. Don't, before you, David was full of words today. Before you push back, before you push back, just understand, I understand. I know about something that's pricey. So, so he says, you know, I appeal to you. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. Now, if he's like me, you know, Philemon's already read down to the bottom letter to see what this is all about. So it probably was no surprise. But it was. So here's a letter from the great apostle Paul the man who led you to Jesus and says, listen, I'm appealing for something. I'm asking for something. And what I'm asking for is freedom and respect for Onesimus. The one who treated you wrong, the one who ran away, I'm praying and asking respect and freedom for him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and you, you know, when I, when I say these guys' names, 
most of the time I choose them for the words they say, but with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was alive in, in the Nazi era and ultimately was shot in a firing squad by the Nazis for his, for his beliefs. And um, he holds weight with me because of the price he paid. Um, but listen to what he says. A Christian fellowship, a church, lives and exists by the, now listen, listen, by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. A church lives and exists by the intercession of members for one another, or it collapses. See, we're to be intercessors for one another. See, we're to go, we're to go to a bat for one another. See, I'm, can I be candid with you? In churches in the Western culture, bats are used, but it's not to go bat for, it's to hit somebody. Peace in the church is a rare thing in the Western church. We are so wrapped up with ourselves, we are stuffed full of ourselves. We need to go to bat for one another. When you're out in the community and somebody says something about your brother, stand up for them. When somebody says something negative about Dorsfield, stand up for It doesn't mean you agree they're right or wrong. Stand up for the church. And yes, when someone speaks negative against your pastor, stand up. Somebody speaks negative about your wife, stand up. They say something negative about your husband, stand up. Stand up. Be a man. Be a woman. Be a Christ follower. Be a Christ follower. I appeal. I'm going, I'm going to bat. I'm going to bat for Onesimus. And verse number 10, the second part. You see, Philemon, just like you, he said, I became his father. You remember when I, Philemon, do you remember when I became your father in the faith? You remember when I led you to Jesus? Well, he shows up and I became his father. While I was in chains. And I know, I know, I know. Once he was useless to you. But now he's useful. Both to you and to me. <laughs> it's funny. Onesimus means profitable. And Paul's saying, I know. There was, he was anything but profitable to you. He was the opposite of his name. But now he owns his name. Now he is his name. Now, he is useful. He is useful. And not just to me, but also to you. How does that happen? 2 Corinthians 5.17. You know, if anyone be in Christ, okay, uh, he becomes a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, behold all things become new. Uh, the new NLT says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. It's, it's powerful. Hey, Philemon, he's not the same man. You're, you're, hey Philemon, you're not the same man. Onesimus is not the same man. So, in verse 12, I am sending him back to you. And he does. If you read the end of Colossians chapter 4, you'll see that Onesimus is named by name in Colossians as carrying one of the letters back to the Colossian church. So he goes back. He goes back. Um, I am sending him back to you, and I'm sending him with my very own heart. You know, with all my heart is this. He bears his soul. Um, so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. You know, I wanted to keep him. I wanted to keep him. But I'm sending him back. I'm sending him back. I want to keep him because he was serving me in your place. But, and this is, this is the big one. This is the big one. 
but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I didn't do, want to do anything without your consent. So that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. I, I, I didn't want you, Philemon, to do this because I said so. I wanted you to do it because you wanted to. You know, back, in, back a ways in the message, I skipped over a very important question. You know, we used it a couple of weeks ago. You know, what does love require of me? What is love? When we're talking about Philemon's love, the question I'll be, what does love require of me? You know, when you're facing situations this week, what does love require of me? When you're in a difficult situation with a person, what does love require of me? When, when you're tempted to do wrong to a person, gossip, bitterness, hardness, what does love require of me? But this is the second big question. This is huge. See, more important then what you do is why you do it. More important than what you do is why you do it. So the question is this. What's your why? What's your why? It's huge. Yeah, okay, so, okay, so, so you come to church. Why? Because you've always done it? Because it's the right thing to do? Doors open, I'm here? What's your why? I hope, I hope your why is deeper than that. I hope it involves somewhere along the line a little bit of love for Jesus. Okay, glad you write a check. But can I ask you, why? Why do you write a check? Perhaps you serve in a capacity in a church. That's awesome, and we're grateful. But can I ask why you serve in a church? Why you do what you do? I mean, this should be a point of intense interrogation in our own heart. This is huge. This is so big. Philemon, I don't want you to do this because I'm the Paul, the Apostle Paul, and you have to. I want you to do it because you want to. I love this. I love this. So the bottom line is this. We don't know what happened. We do, we do know, kind of. We do know, obvious, that you know, Onesimus was sent back to Philemon um, back at Colossae. We got that from Colossians. But we really don't know what the response was. Now, every indication is it went well. Most, I, you, I don't even find a theologian that will say, nope, didn't happen. Most of us, but, but we have to say that by faith. We just believe that that Philemon responded in the right way to Paul's appeal and set Onesimus free. But we don't know the end of the story. And I don't know the end of your story. And you may not know the end of your story. But what we do know is the journey we're on right now. I mean, we we know as we journey through life, we're going to have these bumps and, and bruises and potholes and challenges like Paul did with this situation. What do you do with a Christian who's a slave owner? And you've got the slave sitting right in front of you. And one, you want to keep him because he's profitable to you. And two, you don't want to send him back into a bad situation. So what do you do? Okay. Well, those two questions. I'm, I'm, I apologize for admitting a little bit more about this, but what does love require of you? 
What does love, what does Jesus require of you? Secondly, why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? These are huge. Dare I say these are, Brent, game changers? Game changers in our lives. I love this story. Been doing this for 39 years, and I'm pretty sure once or twice, maybe three times, I snagged a short sermon, a sermonette from Philemon. But I told you this morning, I learned so much uh, from preparing for this. And not just learn, it spoke to my heart. It spoke to my heart. So I pray today, first off, if you've never met Jesus Christ personally, if you've never experienced the incredible love of God that caused him to allow his son Jesus to die on a Roman cross, that's our first invitation. If you're on Facebook today or you listen on the radio or in this room, Maybe today's the day when you need to meet Jesus. And he's waiting to meet you. He's waiting to meet you. And, and the deal is, you'll become part of the family of God. You'll receive forgiveness. You'll have purpose and reason for living and eternity in heaven. It is a win, 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 win. It just is. It just is. But I know most of my audience today, you're Christ followers. And Jesus said, you know, they're going to know that you're my disciples by this that you love one another. So what does love require of you? Hey, in your marriage, what does love require of you? At work, what does love require of you? In your parenting, what does love require of you? And why do you do what you do? Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing these truths today. And I am grateful, Father, I am grateful um, that I never had to question your why. You loved us. God, you so loved this world that you gave your only begotten son. And that's just totally incredible. So thank you for that. Pray, Father, that as we journey the rest of this year, as we work through difficult situations, crazy upside-down situations, Lord, teach us to respond and ask the question of love and then to make sure our why is because we love you solely and completely. Bless this time of decision. If there's someone here or maybe on the radio or maybe on Facebook that needs to know Jesus, oh, let today be that day right there where they are or right here in this room. And may we respond as you lead us, as you see fit. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.